Okay, well, it's, um, it's great to be here, and this, this event has been a little while in the planning, and to actually see people sitting here in this theatre on this, on this day and giving up a Saturday is wonderful. Um, I first became intrigued by the Working Women's Charter when I was researching a recent BBC Two series on shop workers called uh, Shop Girls, The True Story of Life Below Stairs, and that was a follow-up to one, uh, the one John mentioned, which was on servants, The True Story of Life Below Stairs. Um, so there was one on shop servants, one on, on shop workers. And I came across this, this Working Women's Charter. Now, I've taught women's history for a long time, and, and I'd never heard of the, the Working Women's Charter, I, I must confess. Um, and uh, I got very in, intrigued by it. When I started looking at it, I um, was really shocked to see just how many of the demands were still pressing today, 40 years on. And that's really what I think prompted Lucy and I to, 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 to think about this event. And actually, we first probably heard about the Working Women's Charter from a conference that Margareta um, organized uh, last year. Um, so I'm going to come on to the, the Charter and its demands in a moment. But I want to start with some thoughts about our cultural attitudes to work, women's work in particular. And shop girls told the story of the feminization of retail, basically. From the mid-19th century through to the early 20th century, retail was a man's world, and it was a, a gradual feminization of, of, of shop work. But with that was a very mixed feminization. It, it, was a, it was a history of sort of exploitation and lowering of, of standards, uh, of pay, uh, paying conditions, but also a story of emancipation, of allowing women in, into different parts of the labor market. Um, and we wanted to balance that story of exploitation and emancipation um, in, 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 in the series. So the Shop Girls, the series, was commissioned uh, not actually because of much academic work, but because of Mr. Selfridge, because TV viewers were watching Mr. Selfridge, so therefore you know, they would be interested in a drama, the same thing, in the same way that the Servants series was commissioned because of Downton Abbey. So popular audience habits uh, drives uh, this, this kind of agenda. Now, the producer of Shop Girls and I wrote an accompanying book to go with the series. And uh, for the academics in the audience, we wrote it in seven months, which is, is pretty, pretty outstanding. And here it is. Um, and the book was, the, the commissioning of the book is interesting. The publisher picked it up, obviously, because it had a BBC series attached to it. So it's a fairly no-brainer. But as Annabelle and I then came to realize, it was also picked up by a publisher for other reasons. And that is because there's a kind of nostalgia genre on, on women's work, which when you look at it, which I'm about to show you, is, is quite staggering. So. There are lots and lots of titles out there. There's uh, Tales of a Tiller Girl, Tiller Girl being a dancing girl. There's Land Girls. These are all out right now on Amazon. There's The Sugar Girls. Um, and there's lots more. There's The Biscuit Girls. <laughs> um, Shop Girls, Ellie Seymour ripped off our title, but has, has produced it, in a, and, and very cleverly so. Um, you, you, uh, and the, this last one here, I could go on, but there are, there are many others. Uh, the Mill Girls, there are, there are many, many more of these. And you'll see what's the, the, the significant styling of it. It's like, it's, it's Catherine Cookson, it's Mills and Boone. Um, it's, it's, the, it's a very particular genre. Now, I love this cover, that's why I'm bringing it, but I don't like the paperback cover, which is coming out after Christmas, which is very like this. And, and we've had lots of tussles about how to represent um, women's work. Now, when you look at them together, it's really quite striking. I think there's an MA project in it, actually, on, 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 on this, this representation of women's work, because the central message of these books 
is uh, that hardship is hardwired into women's work. These are all tales of struggle, of, of overcoming hardship, but that hardship's just hardwired into, into women's work. We're used to, to it. Um, uh, but what's interesting is that, is that, that how do you respond to hardship? How do women respond to this hardship that's hardwired into their work? It's through humour and camaraderie and courage, according to the, these kinds of books and the, and the subtitles of them. It's not through so much organisation and, 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 and fights for better pay and conditions. So as a cultural kind of record of women's work, these books are very interesting. Um, they, 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 don't, they don't all look, uh, deliver what they, 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 they say on, on the cover. Um, but of course, women's work... Uh, the story of women's work is not a nostalgic one. And uh, in, in Shop Girls, we ended up talking about contemporary retail um, scene, and, um, and it's fairly dire. The, the retail sector employs huge numbers of women. Uh, it's about two-thirds of the retail workforce is, is female, about 1.7 million out of 2.7 million overall. Um, many of them are clustered on shop floor and, uh, and checkout uh, type activity like this working on sales assistance, checkout operators, and so on. In general, it's a, a poorly paid sector. No retailer, large re retailer, to my knowledge, pays the living wage. Could stand corrected there, but I don't think any of them currently do. Um, Unite, the union, did a, a, a survey recently on Sainsbury's staff last year, with a selection of Sainsbury's staff, found out that 60% of those surveyed rely on working tax credit, 30% had had to borrow in the previous six months to make ends meet, um, and it, you know, with statistics like that, Sainsbury's staff themselves clearly can't live well for less, which is Sainsbury's own, uh, own um, <laughs> strapline. Um, the Tesco's one was at Tesco, every little helps, and the living wage campaign of, of, of rewriting it as every, Tesco, every living wage helps. So, uh, yes, well, I think we should, should carry on working on that. Now, shop work has, has changed hugely. Um, since the 1990s, and uh, I won't go into detail with it, but at a stroke, John Major's government, in one act, I think it's the 1994 Deregulation Act, uh, swept away a century of shop work uh, regulation about hours and, uh, and, 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 and conditions and so on. Um, and so you see the, the rise of 24-7 um, working, zero-hours contracts, all this, the deregulation issues that, that, that we've talked about stemming partly from, from, from that period, not, not, not all. So I'd put it to you, you, know, you don't need me to put this to you, but the women workers of Sainsbury's don't need nostalgia. They need a manifesto for change. And this is what we're hoping that the Working Women's Charter will, will maybe do. So I want to turn now to, to the Charter. Um, you've, you've seen it, and it's quite good. We've come, come at this straight after the session where you're all now familiar with these, with these aims. Um, I, I put this to a group of students at Essex University uh, the other week about how many they thought you could tick and say job done, and, and they and I agreed it was it was basically oh sorry I'm going I'm to skip that one that, that basically 40 years on it's four out of ten where you can say you've seen significant progress so equal access to education and training equal legal rights. Uh, Progress on abortion and contraception, progress on, on family allowances, although that's uh, arguably you know, eroding now. But you, that might be three out of ten, then, you might say. Th but three or four out of ten in 40 years. And this is, this is the driving force, really, for this, for this conference. Um, so leaving the meaning that there are now six to go, and our group also 
talking about that ju just now. There are at least at least six that you still need more work, and there are others that aren't even listed, as Lucy mentioned at the beginning. So this is a kind of a basis for for discussion, perhaps. And now I think, for me, the, these issues cut across the the labour market. They cut across women in the labour market, from the top of the labour market to the, to the bottom. Um, and one thing I think the original charter didn't really much talk about was, 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 was sort of private sector and, and senior sort of private sector jobs. And they're also important, you know, women in banking, law and accountancy and professions and those kinds of things. You, you can't afford to kind of ignore uh, the, the, the prospects of women in, in those areas. Women in, in, the, in, in the boardrooms of, of FTSE 100 companies, for example, I think is an issue that ought to concern us. Now, not everyone may uh, agree with that. Um, so I think the trick for us today is to really try to identify these cross-cutting issues that, that can unify women from, from otherwise very different backgrounds. And that's no, you know, that's no simple matter, is it? Um, now, the reason I think, uh, you know, we all know, why do we need a new charter now? Well, <laughs> six months, in six months' time, six months today, isn't it? One of, one of these will, will, will be, uh, well, not Nigel Farage, we assume, but, uh, or, or Clegg, but the, 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 the other two, um, other front runners. And it's more the case of what are the parties doing for, for, for women? I think, I think the Labour Party has a fairly clearly articulated strategy f f for women, although perhaps you might not know about it. And if you don't know about it, that's a problem in there, in there for them communicating it, because they do have some really, I think, good, good proposals for, for women. Um, so I think the, the, the value of having a charter now is that it can just galvanise debates that are being held you know, in many, many organisations, the Fawcett Society, the 50-50 group, the, you know, Feminism Today, the, the Twitter's awash with feminist groups. There are lots of people out there campaigning on these things. The TUC got a new, a new, a new, a new charter out on, on, on equality. So um, how do we galvanise them into a simple message that you could, you could, you could put out there um, and, and generate further debate? And that's, that's what I'm interested in today. And here's my five my top five. I've already changed them since the discussions I've had this morning. I've already changed. This is this was yet, uh, day before yesterday. <clears throat> I think <clears throat> the living wage has to be in there at some level. Some something around the closing of the gender pay gap. Something around affordable childcare. And then Sadira and I were just talking in the break about. Isn't it ironic <laughs> that we don't even dare to ask now for free childcare? That that's that's a demand that just seems unthinkable. It shows you how much the terrain has changed because it just seems unrealistic. And is it even worth trying to recapture some of that old old terrain? Um, but affordable childcare left it in there. Better deals for working carers for you know, male and female caring for people across the, the life course. And I, I throw this in as, as an idea, you know, the representation of women in public life and in boardrooms is dire. It's really dire. It's something like, I think 20% of MPs, or 25% of MPs are women, 20% of the Lords women, 14% um, of Vice Chancellors are women, um, local councillors, I think only 10% of, of, of local councillors are, are chaired by a woman. This is, this is across the board. This is in the public sector, in the private sector, in universities. This is the, the representation of women at those levels is, is a problem. And is, 
is it possible that quotas are the answer? I think for the reason the Labour Party have more MPs than the other parties is partly because of the operation of all women shortlists and, and, and this, the, the success of that over, over time. If they hadn't had that policy, who knows where we'd be? So I raise that as a question about quotas for women in, in, in public life and, and, and in boardrooms. Um, and on that note, I'm going to hand over because uh, I'm sure there's plenty more to discuss. But thank you very much indeed. Thank you.